Do you ever wonder how great leaders in the community make things happen? When they encounter new unexpected challenges like a pandemic, how do they continue to successfully make an impact? Welcome to That Sounds Terrific, the podcast that connects you with these amazing people. Get insights on what they do to meet their goals. Find out how you can help them in their mission and learn their methods so you can be more successful at what you do. Welcome to That Sounds Terrific with host Nick Koziel. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Sounds Terrific. Today, I have joining with me, Coach Jim Johnson. So excited to have you here. Uh, you have a great story and, and um, a great business that you run. So, um, and this uh, this um, podcast is definitely about helping people, which is something that you are, are known for doing. So thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Looking forward to it, Nick. So, um, Coach, why don't you tell us a little bit about, like, your career and kind of, like, how you got started? Sure. So uh, I grew up in a big family uh, of uh, athletic family. In fact, I played basketball for my dad. So that's kind of how I got the flavor of getting into teaching and coaching. Uh, Ended up actually being a fairly good high school player, but actually probably much better in my mind than (laughs) what the reality was. And uh, I got to college. I played one year of JV basketball. I, I played back when they actually had JV teams on college. They don't have that too much anymore. And then I, I actually transferred schools and uh, I went to SUNY Cortland where I, uh, I got cut from the team, which was a pretty oh, humbling experience and probably uh, really uh, shattered my dreams of playing in the NBA. Uh, so I uh, had to fall back on some other things. So I ended up uh, uh, studying uh, physical education and, and got a, out of college and actually met my wife in college. And we ended up getting married quite uh, soon after college and then uh, I started my journey and my dream was I wanted to be a varsity basketball coach in the area where I grew up. I live in uh, Greece, which is a, the biggest suburb of Rochester, New York. And uh, I uh, was assistant at uh, two of the Greece uh, schools for three years. And then I got a break at 25, which is pretty young in my profession. I became a head coach at a school about 20 minutes from where I grew up. It was a, in a school that we had played. And and I was excited. All the program wasn't in very good shape, but I thought with my great coaching acumen, I could turn this program around in a hurry. And of course, I did such a good job that I led that team to 17 consecutive losses. And then, <laughs> then uh, uh, they ended up letting me go. So I, uh, I lost my position after one year. So which is quite humbling. Uh, the break I got was uh, actually there were two things. One was the fact that in losing that job, after feeling sorry for myself for a couple of weeks, I realized there was a couple of things. One is it really motivated me that I wanted to prove I could be a successful coach. And number two is it made me also realize that I was pretty arrogant and I had a lot to learn about leadership and how to build teams. And so I started this when I started my journey of really starting to study leadership and team building and all the arts of coaching. And the other break I got was I got a, a call from a local junior college coach. Uh, his name was Bill Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. And back then, because this is many years ago, uh, little did I know that both of his sons would end up being head coaches in the NBA. In fact, his son, Stan, is still a head coach. And some Jeff you see on TV all the time because he's mm-hmm. a commentator. Uh, but when I, I took over, uh, worked with Coach Van Gundy, his two sons, Jeff was a high school coach and his uh, son, Stan, was a division three coach. So who would know, right? Right. Uh, 
But uh, after that year, I actually, uh, as much as I liked college, I, I really wanted to be a high school coach. And the next year, I actually got a, an opportunity to coach at a small uh, school called Leroy High School, which is about 30 minutes uh, from my town. And uh, I really liked it there. I never, I grew up in a big town, so I didn't know the small town atmosphere, but, but I really liked it. Uh, but after two years, we actually took over a program, and this time I had much better success. We, uh, they had not been very good, and we got it going pretty good the second year. We had a winning record. Um, but my dream actually came true the next year as I got an opportunity to come back to my hometown in Greece. And as hard as it was to leave Leroy, uh, I got an opportunity to be a head coach at this school called Greece Olympia. And I was really excited, but I also um, realized that their program was in dire straits. They had only won two games the previous two seasons, so we had a lot of work to go. And it was some real trials and tribulations. My first four years, we had one winning season, but we had a couple tough years. And uh, then my last three years, we really started to click in, and we had three of the best seasons ever in the school history. They had not much tradition at all. We were actually the number one seed in our sectional tournament. We got to the semifinals for three straight years, which the school had never done. Uh, but then uh, after that, uh, my next opportunity arose as Greece Athena, one of our other sister schools, I always thought was a great uh, program. In fact, they had coach, or had John Wallace that played at Syracuse, played the NBA for seven years. And so that job opened up and I decided to go for it and got it. And at Greece Athena, things got going very quickly because although they had a losing season the year before we got there, uh, we were able to get it going. In fact, we never had a losing season in my 20 years there. Um, but uh, after about seven, eight years, I had this really big stumbling block. We have been winning quite a bit, but we were really struggling in the postseason. In fact, it took me, I think, seven years at Athena before we even got back to the semifinals. And then I had a young man come into our program that uh, changed my life for the real positive. Little did I know, uh, his, his name was Jason McElwain. Uh, the world now knows him as J-Mac and Jason's on the autism spectrum. And he was this real little guy back then. He tried out for our JV team. And I didn't know much about autism. This was back in 2003. And he uh, didn't make the team, but my JV coach just loved his passion and enthusiasm. So he kept him as his team manager. And I got to admit, there were some trials and tribulations early, but our, our program had really a pretty strong culture. So the kids really started to embrace him because he loved basketball and he loved being around the kids. And uh, so we uh, went through the, his JV year and, and actually my varsity team got to the semifinals now for the fifth time in my career and we lose again. So Jason comes out as junior and what was really unique about Jason was not his disabilities, but the fact that he was so committed. Um, because in my career, I probably had maybe three kids that if they didn't make the team would ever try out again. And most of them were half-hearted where they didn't come to off-season workouts. Jason was so different. He came to all our off-season workouts and I was really starting to develop a bond with him. So he tries out for the varsity as a junior and he's still little, he's probably five, seven, 110 pounds. Um, and I, I bring him in the office after a couple of days of trials. I said, Jason, fortunately not good enough to make the team, but I'd like to offer you the team manager's job. And he, he quickly embraced that, you know, he loved being around the kids. In fact, at our first team meeting, he stands up, he says, coach, I need to share this with the team. And I said, well, what's that Jason? He says, we're going to de develop this mantra. We're going to say, we're going to stay focused. We're going to help you win your second, first Jackson five championship this year. And I said, well, thanks, J-Mac. <laughs> and uh, 
we go through, we have another good season, Jason's junior, and we get to the semis now for the sixth time in my career, and we lose at the buzzer. And we oh, are geez. But uh, Jason uh, just was just never stopped. He, you know, and so he came to everything again, tries out his senior year. And I bring him in the office and he's doing a little bit. He's five, nine, maybe 120 pounds a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. And I told him, unfortunately, um, he wasn't good enough to make the team. And this time he was visibly disappointed, but I told him I was going to give him a gift because he was so committed to our program. And the gift was, is I was going to give him a uniform and hopefully get him into our final home game, which we call senior night. Right. And so ironically, Nick, that year, uh, we were expected to have a very good team. We had a lot of players returning, but we had real adversity strike and it really divided the team. It's too long of a story. In fact, I, I wrote a book about it called The Coach and a Miracle, mm -hmm. uh, where I delve into the details of it. But anyways, so our team is really struggling. And finally, uh, I was at my wit's end and I, uh, at our uh, Christmas tournament, we were like four and three and we won the opening round and we, in the championship game, we we're playing this school called Fairport, which is the largest school in, in Rochester. And they were very good that year. And uh, the reason I got into the tournament is because I thought we could, you know, it'd be a great test for us. Well, the way we were acting, we were going to get annihilated. And I did something very unique uh, because it was during Christmas break. So I brought the team in for a shoot around, which is what we normally do when we had a, a game where we didn't have school. But this time I did something very different. I didn't bring any balls out. I just sat them down on the bleachers and I looked them dead in the eyes and I shocked them with my first day. And I said, guys, I don't want to go to the game tonight. And they looked at me in disbelief. What do you mean? Do I, go <laughs> I said, unless we decide we're going to be a team, we're at Fairport's going to be us by 50 points tonight. And the best thing I did, you know, I talk a lot about leadership. I do a lot of leadership presentations is as much as I gave him a little pep talk, the best thing I did that day is I just, I said, you guys got to open up how we can turn this. And, and they started to open up and I just listened and took some notes. And, and by the end of the meeting, I mean, it didn't cure everything, but you could tell there was a different bounce in our step. And it reflected that night. We actually played a great game against Fairport and we lost them in overtime. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, we got some momentum. And we, we won eight of our next nine games going into senior night, which was on February 15th in 2006. February 13th, I gave J-Mac his first jersey. It was number 52. It was way too big. He was swimming <laughs> in it, but he didn't care. In fact, there was a rumor going around school that he slept in it for two straight nights. <laughs> uh, well, senior night for me, for your listeners that are, aren't aware, is um, in basketball, uh, senior night is where you honor the seniors. And the way we did it, we always honored them right before our final home game and we bring their parents or guardians. And I'll never forget because I'll cherish the fact that Jason would now embrace his parents instead of in his white shirt and black tie. He's now in uniform. Well, the game begins and we had a good student body following that year and, and they start chanting the opening tap. We want J-Mac, I guess, just in case I forgot. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I got everybody in the game and, and because we had still had some difficulties during the season because of the strife we had gone through, I knew I couldn't play Jason until I got everybody in that was regularly on the team. And I did get everybody in with, a, with at the end of the third quarter. So with about four minutes to go, because my dream was I, if I wanted to get him in with enough time so he could score a basket, I thought if he could score a basket, there's a memory I'll have for the rest of his life. Well, I put him in. And the place goes crazy. And what Jason and I didn't know 
is one of our parents had made these pictures of Jason's face, these placards, mm -hmm. and put them on paint sticks. And he gave them to the students. He said, if Jason gets in, show these. Well, I'm usually a pretty macho guy. I usually don't cry at basketball games. And I was so touched when Jason walked on the floor. I actually sat down, which I rarely do, and tears are flowing down my face. I just can't believe how they're uh, responding to him. The game begins, Jason's in his first varsity game. First time he gets the ball, he's got it in the right corner. He's shooting a three-pointer. The crowd kind of stands with anticipation. It misses by like six feet. It's not even close. <laughs> and as I kid people, I know you're not supposed to pray in the public schools, but I was praying, dear God, please help him get one basket. Well, the next possession, he actually has a much shorter shot from about 10 feet. And this time it hits the backboard, hits the rim and falls off. I'm thinking, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting closer. And then the third possession, he shoots another three from the right wing this time in magic. It goes in and the place just exploded. And in Greece, we have almost 100,000 people in our town. And it sounded like there were 100,000 people in the gym. It was just pure bedlam. But, you know, and I thought, you know, God must be a basketball fan. I can't this Jason's not only got a basket, he's got a three-pointer. Well, uh, Jason's boyhood idol was Kobe Bryant. And unfortunately, the late Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Now, he, uh, but he, for the next three minutes, turns into his idol. He just starts making shot after shot. And the place is going crazy and crazy. And the two things I'll never forget with about a minute to go, I'm sitting on the bench, tears still flowing down my face. I can't believe what I'm witnessing. And I get a tap on my shoulder. I look behind me as Jason's mother and she is bawling her eyes out. <laughs> And she gives me a big hug and she says, coach, this is the best gift you could have ever given my son. Of course, I cry harder. Yeah. Then uh, the, how the game ends is really like out of a Hollywood. I, I'm not making this up. With about 10 seconds to go, our opponent, Spencerport High School, and I want to give kudos to their coach and the players. They were really nice sports that night. But they score and our player takes it out of bounds and normally throws it to a point guard. But for one unknown reason, he throws it to J-Mac. And J-Mac's dribbling down the court. I'm seeing the clock tick down, six, five. I'm thinking they're just going to let him go in. He's going to make a layup, a short shot. Oh, no, he pulls up like a foot behind the arc, almost an NBA three. He lets go this rainbow. I'm thinking, Jason, don't shoot for there. <laughs> and I look up, it's swish. I look over, our student body runs on the floor, our players run on the floor. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm living the movie, Rudy, but this is really yeah. true. And then our, our players put Jason up on their shoulders and he's got the game ball over his head. And at that point, I had no idea how many points he scored. And uh, our public address announcer comes on and says, the leading scorer for the Trojans, J-Mac, with 20 points. And I'm thinking about math brain because he played four minutes. If he had played the whole game, he would have scored 160 points, which is a pretty good clip. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was just the most remarkable thing. I, I, you know, I certainly could share some of the lessons that I really uh, touched. Uh, I do want to share one real quick story. Because uh, I, I mentioned Kobe Bryant, and for, fast forward about four months after that, Jason is actually up for an ESPY for the greatest sports moment of the year. And one of the four finalists with him is Kobe. Kobe had scored 81 points in an NBA game, and, he, and Jason actually beat out his idol for the ESPY later that summer. So it was pretty cool. That's amazing. Like, um, I've heard that story you, you've shared at one other time where I was present and it, it, it's a story that just doesn't get old and is so moving. Um, 
uh it's it's like then the way that you tell it it's like you're really there like you can envision it happening and um just a remarkable remarkable um story thank you and there's so much to unpack in this episode um i mean this really does and that sounds so terrific um but even like going back to like just um what did you learn most from that experience well that's a great question because I could delve in. I'll, I'll share it with two thoughts, okay? Sure. Because there's so much I did learn yeah. from it. Uh, the first thing that really um, jumped out to me was, uh, you know, because one of my presentations, I tell the story I call Dreams Really Do Come True. And um, one of the keys in that is what Jason was just exemplified to the T was perseverance. You know, here's a young man that... Uh, uh, that, you know, had got been cut three consecutive years. And yet, you know, he just, he, he wanted to serve the team anyway. And so, and just, it really made me want to give him a chance because, uh, you know, what he gave to us, I mean, every day he'd come early to practice, he would work out with guys, he'd stay after practice, he loved the team. And so, so that piece, uh, you know, just the the essence of just staying with it day in and day out, you know, with the idea that there was no no uh, real chance that he was, you know, going to be rewarded. But, you know, I, I really wanted to give him a chance to get in the game. The other thing that jumped out to me was that, as I mentioned, we had a lot of strife that season. And although the kids liked Jason a lot, I didn't know how they were going to respond when he got in the game. And I never asked them to pass in the ball. And, and it still chokes me up when every time I think about it, the fact that they decided on their own to pass him the ball every single time. In fact, I kid them, you know, cause I still see him a lot. You know, I talked to him a lot. I, I say, J Mac, you know, once in a while, I'll bust his chops and say, I'm still looking for your first assist. You didn't pass the ball once. <laughs> <laughs> but it, That's you awesome. know, the, the, just the, uh, the makeup and, you know, for the, any listener that, you know, doesn't really follow uh, basketball or sports in general is the fact that, uh, you know, he was in the game with four of the guys that didn't play much for the, for them just to be willing to keep passing the ball really, you know, to me was the essence of teamwork. Yeah, that, you know, that is an amazing thing, especially for, for that age group, you know, yeah. of, of selflessness to, you know, share that ball and really truly become a team in a lot of ways. I think they, they became a team in that game, yeah. you know? Um, so I mean, it's just like remarkable. I could, I could talk about this game, like, and I'm sure you can too, for forever. Um, yeah. And, you know, it kind of, kind of going back to even your experience, like it's sort of like, there's a reflection of you in, in that, um, that you didn't give up. All right. Mm-hmm. So like you could have very easily, like how many people have failed at something that they were really passionate about and sort of got angry or, you know, just said, you know what, I could have been great, but I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And, and you didn't give up. And I think that speaks very highly, you know, of you, but also of like every other person that um, you've taught and coached afterwards in, in saying, you know, here's this perseverance. You don't give up. It's a dream. Yeah. And you can make that dream come true if you just don't give up. Right. So, and to be in a position where you can give someone an opportunity to have that dream come true. And, and I did like, you know, think of Rudy as well, you know, um, mm-hmm you know, and some of the quotes from, from even from that movie where, you know, if I could put the heart 
your heart and some of my players, like what will be accomplished? Did you ever think about, you know, what if you had put him in some earlier games? Did you ever think about that? It's funny because, you know, after that game and, you know, after a little while, um, and I'll I'll say this to give you just a a little background of that is is another light lesson that I, because I, I do feel good that I believe this game has had a ripple effect around the world. In fact, that I've seen some other neat stories, but a lot of them were, uh, and again, I still love them, even though, but they've been kind of manufactured, you know, like they had TV cameras there and, you know, they're going to let somebody come in and, and that's great. I, again, I'm not opposed to that, but what was really neat about Jason's game was it was totally organic. I had no media there. I really felt in my heart. I'm just doing it for the right reason. In fact, the only media that I had after the game is I had to call into our local newspaper and they didn't make much of a deal. I thought he would give, give him a headline. Well, yeah. how often does your team manager get in and score, let alone score 20 right. points, right? Right. And and they didn't make much of a deal. And the next day, uh, I, I as I kidded people, I, I didn't do much teaching at the school that day. We just watched the game go all day long <laughs> and kids were coming up and saying, coach, this is going to get an ESPN. And I said, I'm going to get a headline in our local newspaper. I was going to get an ESPN. Yeah. Well, what I didn't know is Jason's speech pathologist, he had never come to a game, but he worked with Jason for all four years and Jason told him he might get in. So he came and he was so touched by the game. He actually called one of our local TV stations at school the next day. He said, you've got to come and borrow the video from the coach. And they did. And from, you know, I went from, you know, really no one knowing about it other than people at the game. Within a week, uh, we were on Good Morning America. We were on CBS Evening News. We were on ESPN. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, you know, that that part. And the other crazy thing is we, um, because we started to get some media attention, at that point in my career, we had still never won a sectional championship. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the cherry on top. In fact, I'll never forget this because, you know, I had like agents calling me for a movie and all this crazy <laughs> stuff. I remember this uh, lawyer, uh, a friend of mine knew this lawyer that had some entertainment background. He says, well, coach, if you win the championship, that'll really add to the story. I said, that's yeah. what I need, some more pressure, right? <laughs> uh, but ironically, you know, because the story got so much publicity after that is we actually played in the championship game three weeks later and normally for a championship game we played our downtown arena called the blue cross arena it seats yep. about ten thousand, and normally we only get maybe three four sometimes five thousand people and we walk in the arena that night and it's sold out i mean it, there's not an empty seat and you know of course and we we got a terrible start that game, but we actually rarely and ended up winning the game in the last second um, basket. And you know, so we actually won our first Section Five championship that year. And as a kid, we went from you know not any media to actually after the championship game, we took our team to a local restaurant and we actually watched highlights of our Section Five championship game on ESPN because they were there. Right. <laughs> so it was just crazy. That's awesome. That like, you know, and I, and I remember when, when this happened, um, you know, before I even knew you that like the hype that it got. So it, it really was a, it, it really is a, an awesome, great story. And, um, you know, uh, ESPN has that way sometimes of really bringing in some, um, you know, some good stories and some heartfelt stories and 
you know, I've had some experience even like, you know, going back to that Cortland connection where you went to, to Cortland. I, I worked at SUNY Cortland for, for years myself. And, you mm. know, they have that Cortica Jug game, which, you know, right. uh, yeah. was dubbed like the biggest little game in the nation. And right. that was always something that was unique to see, you know, highlighted yeah. on ESPN and stuff. But this story, um, you know, and I love like what you, what you said at that, there's other things that have followed that were sort of, you know, maybe not staged, but this was definitely an organic thing. Mm -hmm. And for someone to have the passion and, um, you know, the wherewithal to kind of go to the local news and say, Hey, you guys need to pay attention to this. And for the story to grow to what it did. Um, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, from that you've had, um, many different experiences trying to affect other lives and, you know, bring, bring this out to other people. So can you talk a little bit about like, you know, your, your speaking opportunities and, and, and what you do and, you know, um, how that part of your, your life was impacted as well? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because um, towards, you know, I mentioned that I lost my first job and I really started to get into personal growth and I started to listen to, you know, some of the famous, you know, Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and Wayne Dyer and the list goes on and on. And, and so it was interesting because in my 40s, uh, I was in my middle 40s when that game occurred. And I was starting to do a little speaking in the basketball world, but I wasn't really doing anything else. And I was always trying to figure out, you know, because uh, I was thinking about the kind of the back of the mind. And then all of a sudden <laughs> this game happens and now people are calling me out of the blue and uh, they, uh, so at first, um, the, my first speaking engagement after uh, that game was about a month later. I had a school in, in Delaware that uh, focused on uh, people on the autism spectrum. And I came in and I spoke and the guy says, you have an hour and a half. And I'm like, hour and a half? I don't know, it's not nearly <laughs> enough material. He goes, don't worry about it. They'll ask you lots of questions. And he was right, you know, because it was still really um, close to everybody's mind. So, and, and the fact that this young man that was on the autism spectrum. So the, the, the talk went pretty good, although I, I was clueless about, you know, coming up with like a format and, you know, what, I, so I just basically kind of shared the game. But then, I, you know, people started to ask me to share about the game. So I said, you know what, I, I better start to have a message here. <laughs> so, right. so I, uh, I started to develop some ideas and I talked to some people that had more speaking experience. And then uh, actually a break uh, that I didn't realize at the time, about a year later, I was speaking at an event in Chicago and I was starting to get better at it. And this guy comes up that, that was in the audience after he says, coach, um, you got a lot of potential to be a great speaker. And I said, oh, thank you. He says, you really should join the National Speakers Association. And I looked at him, I said, what's, what's that? <laughs> I had no idea, you know? And it was a great bit of advice. I joined, uh, I think I've been a member now about 11 years and uh, it, it really helped me because I, I met a lot of good speakers and I learned a lot about, you know, the, not only platform skills, but, uh, you know, um, the business part of, of speaking as well. So I, uh, I basically for a while was just, you know, I did this speech called Dreams Really Do Come True. And, and you know, and I was doing it on the side, I was still teaching and coaching. Uh, but I started to really like it. And um, then, but, you know, I, my major passion, and I think that was because of, you know, losing that first varsity job is I just loved anything to do with leadership and how to build a team, you know, because of course that's what I was doing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so I just became this 
voracious reader and you know audio program you know as i kid people my my uh, car is a library on wheels i've always listened to programs and that kind of thing and i just became a student and uh, I really believe that really helped enhance my career because I just kept, you know, in my mind, getting better and better. In fact, you know, uh, so I do a leadership presentation. I do it with a basketball kind of uh, metaphor. I call it, um, uh, leadership lessons from half court. And I often still do it with the JMAC story. I also have a talk on teamwork. I, I have a goal setting workshop that I just did uh, the other day virtually. Um, so, you know, I, and I've written a book. I'm actually working on a second book. I team with a local college professor. We're going to uh, write a book for uh, young and emerging leaders. Um, but actually, um, I love sharing. I, I, I have seven keys I talk about in being an effective leader that, you know, I've been sharing to businesses and coaches and, you know, schools and that kind of thing. And that, um, because leadership is something that, I, and it's, you know, it's never ending. It, you always are trying to figure out, you know, because you're dealing with people. And when you're dealing with people, there's always so many things that can go wrong. And, and certainly there's a lot of things that can go right. Um, but that's always fascinated me. So I, I retired from teaching and coaching in 2016. So I've been speaking full time. Um, and I got to admit, though, the, the pandemic hit, hit me hard uh, because I love doing live events. And I, right. I wasn't so sure I really wanted to do virtual events. And, you know, of course, when the pandemic first hit, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this will be a few weeks and we'll be back to normal. Right. Mode. <laughs> and obviously I was way wrong on that one. <laughs> So after it, I did not pivot quickly. And it, it, anything I would tell people to advise is, is you got to move faster than Jim Johnson did. <laughs> I really, uh, uh, you know, the fortunate thing is because I had done, I was prudent with my money and, you know, I have other sources of income. So I, I unfortunately didn't need to speak to live. Um, but uh, it took me a while, you know, but then I took a couple courses and now I am starting to do virtual presentations. I'm still really looking to get back and, you know, I think we're going to have live events. I don't know how many we'll do this year, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, people are dying to get back together. Um, so I think that's something that we uh, will do, but, you know, so I've been doing virtual and I, I have a home office where I've set up, you know, and I've added some things to, to, you know, make it. In fact, it was funny. I did it for a group about a month ago and uh, the lady that was hired me says, uh, you're actually going to stand up? I said, yeah, I'm a professional speaker. I said, you know, and that, because they, they hire a speaker every month and usually the person's just sitting, you know, doing a Zoom call. And I said, oh no, you know, I have a little studio and I did a PowerPoint, I have a TV set up and, and that kind of thing. So I, uh, uh, but you know, I, I really, uh, it's something because I wanted to stay in the game. You know, I, I feel like I've got some really good messages to share with people. And if I, if I, if, you know, if I'm not doing them virtually, I'm not doing them at all. So uh, yep. um, that's where we're at right now. I mean, that's been a challenge for, for everyone, obviously with the pandemic, but like speakers in general have had to try to find a new different method to like deliver their, their message. And, you know, speakers like yourself um, really enjoy the audience interaction and you feed off of that. It's, right. it's, it's as much of a performance as it is, you know, um, you know, an opportunity to, to share your knowledge. And, yeah. you know, I have spoke on, on several occasions, nothing probably quite as large as, as you're used to. Um, but yeah, 
even me, I have not liked the, the the method of just going to the Zoom or, you know, maybe over the phone and talking to a class or something. It's just not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and teachers, <laughs> just be glad you're you're retired. You know, my yes. wife's a teacher and there's another other, a couple other teachers I've spoken to and they said, it, it it's so hard to teach right now because the classes come in, the students come in, they turn their cameras off and you don't see who you're talking to. And I was just speaking to a teacher the other day about, they went back to full-time instruction in the schools and they didn't know like 50% of their students by face because they only saw them like oh the one, one day, you know? So with, with the pandemic, there's definitely some new challenges that um, people that are in your profession have had to, you know, take, you know, basketball um, took, took a side seat, you know, when it comes to sports exactly. and it was very challenging. Um, yeah, in fact, I, I did a, a goal setting workshop for uh, a young teacher that actually I spoke to her college class. That's how we connected. And then she it was it's her first year in teaching. And I, I did a presentation on leadership for her group back about six weeks ago. And I said, I'll do, you know, a follow up and do I'll help you out with a goal setting. And so I, I had a follow-up call with her today and I said, well, you know, just let me ask you, how are things going? It's her first year as a teacher. And she says, coach, it's been a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, I can't even fathom because, you know, I, I can't speak from, I mean, I was a teacher for 35 years, so I can get right. that piece, but I didn't ever teach through a pandemic. So yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, I, I really have a lot of empathy for educators right now. And certainly in, you know, a lot of walks of life, because mm-hmm. it's, it's changed the game. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I think there's some real truth. I'm sure you're feeling some of the, the famous Zoom fatigue. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's out there for sure. Yeah, I've definitely try, try to talk to different people. I network quite a lot, you know, and I felt it. Um, but I've had people like, can we just do a phone call? You yeah. know, and, and you always say, yeah, of course, you know, let's let's do that. And, you know, teachers and even student teachers, my nieces um, at SUNY Fredonia right now going in and trying to learn to be an educator the other thing that I've thought about is like, okay, so she's not really having those in-class observation experiences. And what's that going to be, you know, if this still continues? I know it looks like everything's opening up, which is great. Um, yeah, but there's definitely those those kids and those, you know, um, potential teachers that have gone through these things and, and not experienced what it's like to be in a school to start right. teaching. I remember I was studying to be a teacher and I decided, you know what, this wasn't for me. So, you know, what are the ramifications that we're going to see five to 10 years down the road from, from this? Um, So as far as your, you know, your speaking goes, I know you do quite a lot of that and you've kind of pivoted into your, your virtual world. What are, you know, maybe what's one one or two messages that you always try to like kind of put across to your audience that you really hammer home? You know what? Well, the one that I, I really try to hammer home is, um, you know, and I, I do this in a lot of my talks, is, is I really think you have to be clear about who you are and your why. You know, I'm really pushing hard. Uh, a book that changed my life was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that mm-hmm. I read many, many years ago. And one of the things Dr. Covey talked about was having your own personal mission statement. And when I read the book, I really didn't have one. And, and it really made me think of, you know, why... And so that's something I'm really, you know, no matter what audience, whether it's, you know, middle age, older or younger, is I, I think you really, 
uh, because that really changed my life is that when I got clear about, because I, I, I've said this to a lot of people over the years, I got to admit, when I got into coaching, you know, yes, I like kids, I love basketball, you know, and that kind of thing, but, you know, I wanted to win. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what, but as, when I got really clear about my mission, which I'll share with you, is, is to be an outstanding role model that helps people make their dreams come true. And, and when I really tr uh, put that together, is that you know I wanted to be someone that could help people and serve people, and I wanted to be a great role model. That that was important. And when I when I did that, it's amazing because my career took off in a much more positive way because I think the the young people I worked with understood who I was, what I stood for, and so that's something I really have um, been really focusing a lot with. Uh, you know, I certainly do a, a lot with, you know, talking to people, the idea of goals and, and really having clarity of what you want and then developing plans to do that. And then I guess the, the thing that right now in some of my more recent talks is the one thing that I was, I've been disappointed is it seemed like, you know, because there was a lot of, we've had a lot of challenges the last couple of years and certainly a pandemic magnified it, but I was just disappointed how we've really kind of lost respect for, you know, each other. Right. And it's something I've, I've been sharing with people is I just think it's so important. You know, we're, we're there's always going to be times when we disagree, but that doesn't right. mean that we treat people uh, disrespectfully. And I, right. I think that's something that, um, you know, it's got to be a route that we got to go back to, you know, that we treat each person with respect, whether we agree with them or not. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've had some volunteer coach experiences in, in the past. And, you know, I won't say where th this happened, but I've noticed that that too, that over over the years, the respect for the game has, you know, whether whether the game's hockey, whether it's basketball, whether it's whatever sport has yeah. sort of been borderline into getting that win. All right. So, um, and, and, you know, we could probably talk about these things until we're blue in the face, but even the parents uh, expecting their kids to be these professional players or getting into shouting matches with other parents or other players and just the total disrespect that's being taught across all lines of the game, yeah. you know, and I just remember there's a few games where my kids and all they really were, were kids, you know, like mm -hmm. in all extensive purposes of we're just being pushed around and the refs are just letting it happen. And right. I'm like, this is not even how this game is supposed to be played. There is no contact whatsoever. Right. It's a casual league. And um, like, I don't want to win that way. Right. You know, I don't want to lose that way either, but you know, right. taking my kids aside and explaining, Hey, this is not how you play the game. Right. And if you win this way, do you really win? Right. You know, yeah. um, so it was always that much sweeter when, when you did win in those games where like they were really pushing the envelope with the rules and, right. um, you know. Yeah, a lot of things, you know, like one of my other keys is a very simple one, but again, I think we often forget about it is the importance of leading by example. Right. And, you know, we used to tell our players all the time, you know, that you're always on stage and, and it gets magnified because in our, you know, my later part of my career, we were having great success. I mean, we were, you know, winning all the time. You know, we won our first championship back in 2006, but in my, I never made the finals as a head coach until J-Max senior. In my last 11 years, we made the finals eight times. So, you know, we really had a great run at the end of my career. 
Um, but it, I always reminded them, you know, that, and that was the biggest difference with me, you know, like when people ask me is one, I got much more clear about who I was and what I was all about. The other thing is, is, is I just think um, people tend when they have success, they get complacent. And that's one thing I always had a burn to always try to get better. And that's something I really try to push on our players. And that's why I think we had that great run because mm -hmm. we didn't stay satisfied. You know, we won a championship. Great. Okay. Let's, let's keep growing and keep getting right. better. So that's a very important lesson to, to teach that no matter how good you are at anything, you can always improve. And there's always yeah. something, an aspect of your game on the court or off the court that right. you can improve. And, you know, that's why a lot of my career has been centered around working at places of higher education because mm -hmm. you're always learning. There's yeah. always someone that can teach you something new. And if you keep your mind open to those things, then, you know, um, there's no telling where you, where you'll go next. Um, when I started studying, you know, I've studied a lot of leaders in, but you know, in the basketball world, you know, one of the greatest of all time was John Wooden. And I, I remember reading, you know, a, a, it was a book on him and how after every season, and of course, you know, his last 12 years, they won two national championships, so it's not a bad run. Uh, but he, every year, he would take a phase of the game and he would study it. You know, he'd go talk to other coaches, he'd read about it. He, and, uh, you know, that really made a good impression on me that here's a guy that's, you know, a lot of people say he's the greatest college coach of all time. Mm -hmm. And yet he always was hungry to try to get better. Yeah. No, that's definitely very important. And you think about like every game develops over time. So mm -hmm. if you stay complacent, the different strategies and the different things that other people are doing, you know, you're, you're going to end up falling behind in some way, shape or form. And right. it's very important to kind of stay on top of those things. And, you know, when I was, um, you know, working with different students that were actually trying to analyze games, even on, uh, you know, using computers and all sorts of different technology, you know, they have things now that can, you know, that go in the ball and they tell you where you were when you took the shot and how, you know, this player was, you know, 75% more effective in this particular area than they were over yeah. here. And it's just, it's interesting data to have to go, okay, right. if you can compile that all in your head and keep it there, right. you know, what players really in the statistically are better to put into different situations. Right. Um, you know, they never used to keep track of that stuff. I'm a yeah. bit of a, I'm more of a hockey guy. You know, right. and they never really kept track of like class, uh, past completions, you know, over the mm -hmm. blue line and, and those type right. of things. And all those things are being tracked now. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you almost have to have a full out computer system right on the bench to kind of. Yeah, you do. It's, uh, <laughs> all right. It's when does this guy insane. go in? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but I mean, coach, I, I think, you know, it, it's so terrific to have you on the show. Um, the messages that you you shared um, are are great for our listeners to hear, and you know again I applaud you for for everything you've done, um, you know to help so many different people. How can um, how can my listeners get a get a hold of you and and you know sure. um, so I, experience uh, this firsthand? <laughs> yeah, so uh, my website is coachjimjohnson.com, and uh, on that we do uh, I have a monthly free newsletter. I also do a weekly blog for free that they can sign up for. And if they follow me on my social media, I do a, I do a success thought every morning and I do a leadership thought every afternoon. So those are my little, and then I, I, I'm an avid reader. So I do a book recommendation every Wednesday and, uh, 
and and certainly you know uh, I have a number of presentations I can never help anybody and you know we actually do have our book uh, the, the Coach in a Miracle that's gotten a lot of really good reviews I actually I'm selling it uh, for a discount right now so if anybody's interested that it, all that information is on the website so sure. Yeah. And I'll make sure I have all that in our episode notes. And um, Coach, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm your host, Nick Colziel. That sounds terrific. And joining me today again was Coach Jim Johnson. I urge you to take a look uh, at his website and definitely listen in on some of his thoughts. He has some great things to share. Thank you for joining us in another episode of That Sounds Terrific. Don't forget to check out the show notes and our website at thatsoundsterrific.com to find the contact information and the best ways to volunteer with the organizations that we feature. If you know someone that is doing terrific things and think they should be featured in a future episode, be sure to email us their name, contact info, and short description of what they're doing at thatsoundsterrific at gmail.com. If you like our show, give us a five-star rating and give us some social media love by liking our Facebook page, That Sounds Terrific. Follow us on Twitter at Sounds Terrific 2 and Instagram at Sounds Terrific. We love hearing your feedback on how to make our show sound even more terrific. Till next time.